0: book 3 chapter 4 of the crossing by winston churchill this LibriVox recording is in the public domain chapter 4 of a sudden resolution it was nearly morning when i fell asleep in my chair from sheer exhaustion for the day before had been a hard one even for me i awoke with a start and sat for some minutes trying to collect my scattered senses the sun streamed in at my open door the birds hopped on the lawn and the various sounds of the bustling life of the little town came to me from beyond suddenly with the glimmering of the mad events of the night i stood up walked uncertainly into the back room and stared at the bed it was empty i went back into the outer room my eye wandered from the scattered whiskey bottle which was still on the floor to the table littered with mrs temple's letters and there in the midst of them lay a note addressed with my name in a big unformed hand i opened it mechanically dear davy so it ran i have gone away i cannot tell you where some day i will come back and you will forgive me god bless you nick he had gone away-to new orleans i had long ceased trying to account for nick's actions but the more i reflected the more incredible it seemed to me that he should have gone there of all places and yet i had had it from clark's own lips indiscreet enough now that nick and st were to prepare the way for an insurrection there my thoughts ran on to other possibilities would he see his mother but he had no reason to know that mrs temple was still in new orleans then my glance fell on her letters lying open on the table had he read them i put this down as improbable for he was a man who held strictly to a point of honour and then there was antoinette de saint gris i ceased to conjecture here dashed some water in my eyes pulled myself together and seizing my hat hurried out into the street I made a sufficiently indecorous figure as I ran towards the waterside, barely nodding to my acquaintances on the way. It was a fresh morning, a river-breeze stirred the waters of the bare grass, and as I stood scanning the line of boats there I heard footsteps behind me. I turned to confront a little man with grizzled chestnut eyebrows. He was none other than the citizen you you take the air monsieur richie said he you look for some one yes you get up too late to see him off i made a swift resolve never to quibble with this man so mr temple is gone to new orleans with the Sieur de st gris i said citizen jenot laid a fat finger on one side of his great nose the nose was red and shiny i remember and glistened in the sunlight ah said he "'Tis no use trying to hide from you. "'However, Monsieur Richie, "'you're the very soul of honour. "'And then your friend. "'I know you not betray this Sieur de saint Gris. "'He's very fond of you.' "'Betray?' I exclaimed. "'There's no question of betrayal. "'As far as I can see, "'your plans are carried on openly "'with a fine contempt "'for the federal government.' "'He shrugged his shoulders. "'Tis not my doing,' he said. "'But I am, what you call it, a cipher secrecy is what i believe but drink too much talk too much is it not so monsieur and if monsieur le baron de de delay the governor here they are in new orleans i think they go to havana or brazil he smiled but perhaps the expression of my face caused him to sober abruptly it is necessary for the cause we must have good revolution in louisiane a suspicion of this man came over me for a childlike simplicity characterized the other ringleaders in this expedition clark had had acumen once and lost it st was a fool nick temple was leading purposely a reckless life the citizens sullivan and Dupuy had to say the least a limited knowledge of affairs all of these were responding more or less sincerely to the cry of the people of kentucky every day more passionate that something be done about louisiana but jeanneau seemed of a different feather moreover he had been too shrewd to deny what colonel clark would have denied in a soberer moment that sangry and nick had gone to new orleans you not speak monsieur you not think they have success you are not federalist no For I hear you march last night with your friend. I hear you wave torch. You make it your business to hear a great deal, Monsieur Genot, I retorted, my temper slipping a little. He hastened to apologize. Mille pardon, Monsieur, he said. I see you are Federalist, but drunk. Is it not so? Monsieur, you think this very silly thing, this expedition. Whatever I think, Monsieur, I answered. I am a friend of General Clark's an enemy of the cause he put in monsieur i said if president washington and general wade do not think it worth while to interfere with your plans neither do i i left him abruptly and went back to my long-delayed affairs with a heavy heart the more i thought the more criminally foolish nick's journey seemed to me however puerile the undertaking de Lemos at natchez and Caron de delay at new orleans had not the reputation of sleeping at their posts and their hatred for americans was well known i sought general clark but he had gone to knob licks and in my anxiety i lay awake at night tossing in my bed one evening perhaps four days after nick's departure i went into the common room of the tavern and there i was surprised to see an old friend his square saffron face was just the same his little jet eyes snapped as brightly as ever his hair which was swept high above his forehead and tied in an eel skin behind was as black as when i had seen it at kaskaskia i had met monsieur vigo many times since for he was a familiar figure amongst the towns of the ohio and the mississippi and from vincennes to Anne's la and even to new orleans his reputation as a financier was greater than ever he was talking to my friend mr marshall but he rose when he saw me with a beaming smile ah it is davy he cried but not the same little drummer boy who would not come into my store rich lawyer now i hear you make much money now davy congress money i said Monsieur Vigo threw out his hands and laughed exactly as he had done in his log store at Kaskaskia. "'Congress has never repaid me one sou,' said Monsieur Vigo, making a face. "'I have try. I have talk. I have represent. It is no good. "'David, it is your fault. You tell me take the money. You call that finance?' "'David,' said Mr. Marshall sharply, what the devil is this i hear of your carrying a torch and a jacobin procession you may put it down to liquor mr marshall i answered then you must have had a cask egad said mr marshall for i never saw you drunk i laughed i shall not attempt to explain it sir i answered you must not allow your drum to drag you into bad company again said he and resumed his conversation as i suspected it was a vigorous condemnation of general clark and his new expedition i expressed my belief that the government did not regard it seriously and would forbid the enterprise at the proper time you are right sir said mr marshall bringing down his fist on the table i have private advices from philadelphia that the president's consideration for governor shelby is worn out and that he will issue a proclamation within the next few days warning all citizens at their peril from any connection with the pirates i laughed as a matter of fact mr marshall said i citizen Genet has been liberal with nothing except commissions and they have neither money nor men the rascals have all left town said mr marshall citizen quartermaster dupuy their local financier has gone back to his store at knob Licks. The Sour de saint and Mr. Temple, as doubtless you know, have gone to New Orleans. And the most mysterious, and therefore the most dangerous of the lot, Citizen Genot, has vanished like an evil spirit. It is commonly supposed that he too has gone down the river. You may see him, Vigot, said Mr. Marshall, turning to the trader. He's a little man with a big nose and grizzled chestnut eyebrows. I know a little about him, said Monsieur Vigo he was on my boat two days ago asking me questions the devil he was said mr marshall i had another disquieting night and by the morning i had made up my mind the sun was glitting on the placid waters of the river when i made my way down to the bank to a great 10 oared keel boat that lay on the bare grass with its square sail furled an awning was stretched over the deck and at a walnut table covered with papers sat monsieur vigo smoking his morning pipe "davy" said he "you have come on a at ten i depart for new orleans" he sighed "it is a long voyage" he added "and so lonely one sometime i have good fortune to pick up companion but not today" "do you want me to go with you" i said he looked at me incredulously i should be delighted he said but you make a jest i was never more serious in my life i answered for i have business in new orleans i shall be ready ha cried monsieur vigo hospitably i shall be enchant we will talk philosophy Beaumarchais, Voltaire, rousseau for monsieur vigo was a great reader and we had often indulged in conversation which we flattered ourselves had a literary turn I spent the remaining hours arranging for a young lawyer of my acquaintance to look after my business and at ten o'clock i was aboard the keelboat with my small baggage at eleven monsieur vigo and i were talking philosophy over a wonderful breakfast under the awning as we dropped down between the forest-lined shores of the ohio my host traveled in luxury and we ate the creole dishes which his cook prepared with silver forks which he kept in a great chest in the cabin you who read this may feel something of my impatience to get to new orleans and hence i shall not give a long account of the journey what a contrast it was to that which nick and i had taken five years before in monsieur gratiot's fur boat like all successful creole traders monsieur vigo had a wonderful knack of getting on with the indians and often when we tied up of a night the chief men of a tribe would come down to greet him we slipped southward on the great yellow river which parted the wilderness with its great sucks and eddies and green islands every one of which monsieur knew and i saw again the flocks of waterfowl and herons in procession and hawks and vultures wheeling in their search sometimes a favourable wind sprang up and we hoisted the sail we passed the walnut hills the negales the moans of the alligators broke our sleep by night and at length we came to natchez ruled over now by that watchdog of the spanish king garso de lemos thanks to monsieur vigo his manners were charming and his hospitality gracious And there was no trouble whatever about my passport our progress was slow when we came at last to the belvered plantation houses down amongst the orange groves and as we sat on the wide galleries in the summer nights we heard all the latest gossip of the capital of louisiana the river was low there was an ominous quality in the heat which had its effect indeed upon me and made the old creoles shake their heads and mutter a word with a terrible meaning new orleans was a cesspool said the enlightened the baron de carondelet infatigable man aimed at digging a canal to relieve the city of its filth but this would be the year when it was most needed and it was not dug yes monsieur le baron was energy itself that other fever the political one he had scotched Caara and le Mansier had been sung in the theatres but not often for the baron had sent the alcaldes to shut them up certain gentlemen of french ancestry had gone to languish in the moreau at havana yes monsieur de carondelet though fat was on horseback before dawn new orleans was fortified as it had never been before the militia organized real cannon were on the ramparts which could shoot at a pinch sub rosa i found much sympathy among the planters with the rights of man what had become they asked of the expedition of citizen general clark preparing in the north they may have sighed secretly when i painted it in its true colors but they loved peace these planters strangely enough the name of auguste de sangree never crossed their lips and i got no trace of him or nick at any of these places was it possible that they might not have come to new orleans after all through the days when the sun beat upon the awning with a tropical fierceness when monsieur vigo abandoned himself to his siestas i thought it was perhaps characteristic of me that i waited nearly three weeks to confide in my old friend the purpose of my journey to new orleans it was not because I could not trust him that I held my tongue, but because I sought some way of separating the more intimate story of Nick's mother and his affair with Antoinette de Saint-Grie from the rest of the story. But Monsieur Vigo was a man of importance in Louisiana, and I reflected that a time might come when I should need his help. One evening, when we were tied up under the oaks of a bayou, I told him, there emanated from monsieur vigo a sympathy which few men possess and this i felt strongly as he listened breaking his silence only at long intervals to ask a question it was a still night i remember of great beauty with a wisp of a moon hanging over the forest line the air heavy with odors and vibrant with a thousand insect tones and what do you do davy he said at length i must find my cousin in sangree before they have a chance to get into much mischief i answered if they have already made a noise i thought of going to the baron de carondelet and telling him what i know of the expedition he will understand what sangree is and i will explain that mr temple's reckless love of adventure is at the bottom of his share in the matter bon davy said my host if you go i go with you but i believe the baron think moreau good place for them just the same the baron has not made miserable with jacobins but i go with you if you go he discoursed for some time upon the quality of the st gris their public services and before he went to sleep he made the very just remark that there was a flaw in every string of beads as for me i went down into the cabin surreptitiously lighted a candle and drew from my pocket my piece of ivory which had so strangely come into my possession once more the face upon it had haunted me since i first beheld it the miniature was wrapped now in a silk handkerchief which polly ann had bought for me in lexington shall i confess it i had carefully rubbed off the discolorations on the ivory at the back and the picture lacked now only the gold setting as for the face i had a kind of consolation from it i seemed to draw of its strength when i was tired of its courage when i faltered and during those four days of indecision in louisville it seemed to say to me in words that i could not evade or forget go to new orleans it was a sentiment foolish if you please which i could not resist nay which i did not try to resist for i had little enough of it in my life what did it matter i should never see madame la vicomtesse d'ivry latour she was helene to me and the artist had caught the strength of her soul in her clear-cut face in the eyes that flashed with wit and courage eyes that seemed to look with scorn upon what was mean in the world and untrue with pity on the weak here was one who might have governed a province and still have been a woman one who had taken into exile the best of safeguards against misfortune, humor, and an indomitable spirit. End of chapter 4